Remember that? The battery is dead. Well, just pull, just get one of those there, and we'll just. Um, what do you want to tell the nice people? Uh, Scott would like to come up and do something. Thank you. You know, when you think of 16, the number 16 is just a flippant number. And someone else would throw out another flippant number about this. But when you think of 16 years in a person's life, that's 16 365-day periods. That's a long time. How many people in here are 16 years old or younger? Mm. Uh, look around the room. Look around the room. 16 years. You know, the average pastor to church has a lifespan of 24 to 36 months. The average youth pastor has a lifespan of 12 months in the average church in this nation. I come from the Gulf Coast where these massive churches are built all up and down the highway. And when a pastor hears the call to come, they come and build this massive church. And the church is built, then the church can't pay for it. Then the pastor hears a call to go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's of God, you? No, no. I've got friends that are clergy people that are in churches every 24 months. Do you think that's of God? No. no. I just want to stop this morning and tell you thank you for 16 years of your lives. And it's really more than that. It was a years in preparing you for that. When you get to know Pastor Terry and you get to know Pastor Diane, you realize this is two people of incredibly high IQs, incredibly gifted people that could be anywhere this morning and yet they're faithful and they're here. And when you've called them, they've been there. In my background as a military chaplain, I'd like you to hold that, please. In my background as a military chaplain, we have a tradition of coining people. Oh, my. And uh, normally generals and full board colonels coin people, and I'm uh, sure I'm neither. But I would like to coin you this day, and I would like to present you the Silver Eagle to both of you. It's not that the fact that the coin is pure silver. It's not that the fact that there is an encrusted silver eagle on the back. But it is what says on this side, what sums up y'all's life. And there's three words here, God, family, and country. And I would like to present this to you today and from us and here today saying thank you for you, both of you, investing your lives in us. And we're wow. greatly appreciative of that. And I'd wow. like to present you thank that. You. Well, thank, thank, thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, that's Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, that's very nice. Very much. That means a lot to us. It's been an honor and a privilege to be here pastoring all of you wonderful, wonderful people. You're really the best. And so... Scott, thank you, and thanks to everybody for your faithfulness. We love and appreciate you. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy. We thank you that we've been able to to serve you here in this capacity for the last 16 years. We thank you for the good and wonderful people that you've sent to us and given us a privilege to pastor them and, and to love them. And so it's just been an honor for us, and we thank you for it, sir. We thank you for this honor this morning. We thank you... Uh, that the people love us and care for us. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your holy word that goes forth and helps people. It encourages people. And we're just so grateful for it. And we trust that that will happen today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to Amos, the third chapter and the third verse. Amos, the third chapter and the third verse. We've been talking about last Sunday and this Sunday on making your house a home. Making your house a home. And last week, we, you know, there's a lot of houses that aren't homes. Just because you have a house doesn't mean you have a home. If, if you don't have the joy of the Lord in your house, then it's a structure, but it's not a home. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so uh, how to make your house a home. And last week, we, we talked about husbands and wives. And today, we're going to say a little bit more about that. And we're going to talk about uh, parenting, being good parents, and, and some things to children. And so in Amos 3, verse 3, the Bible says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? You know, agreement is such an important thing. Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. And, and if you have homes where mom and dad are fussing and fighting all the time, and they're going in opposite directions, you know, and they can never get the, the kids to follow along with what, what needs to be going on. There's just disagreement, and, and it, causes, it causes the house to ultimately not certainly be a home, and it causes it, it to fall. And so it's important that there's agreement in your, in your household. Uh, the Bible says, I think of a verse, I think, it's in, I think it's in the book of Psalms, where the psalmist talks about how good it is how good and pleasant it is when people dwell together, brethren dwell together in unity. And that's not just applicable to a church, but it applies to your home as well. That it's, God commands the blessing when there's agreement in line with His Word. And you know, it's important that your children see that you're walking in agreement with each other. I'm talking to parents now. It's important that your children see that you're walking in agreement with each other. Um, you know, it's just, it's just vitally, vitally important. One thing that we find is that when people are dating, opposites attract. Have you found that to be true? Uh-huh. But those two opposites that attracted and got married, when they get married, they repel each other. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you find a, a slob and a neat, you know, neat as a pen person or a, a, a chatterbox and a person that never talks at all or a spender and a real thrifty person. They're attracted to each other. But when they get married, those things that attracted them to each other all of a sudden becomes an issue. It becomes a problem. And the, the key to making marriages work well is to take those opposites and balance each other out. That's when you have the most awesome and wonderful thing happen because we do have strengths and weaknesses, and we need to learn to balance those out with each other. Yes. Uh, we need to learn to work together. Say you have a person that, that, you know, really, really, really likes to spend a lot of money and a person that maybe is maybe a little bit too tight, really frugal, will never, you know, buy a new pair of shoes or, or anything like that. Well, those two people need to balance each other out so that the person that is over tight can learn to have a little freedom in their finances and the person that overspends can learn to budget their money. And it's very important for your children to see you be able to work these things out and work together. to uh, that You are their model, model for married life. And if the children can see you as opposites, balancing each other out and working together, that will be a great model for them. And like uh, Pastor Diane and I, as husband and wife, we've had to learn to work together. Uh, there's some areas that her and I are very, very opposite in. And uh, we, we've had to learn 
to work together and come to the middle of the road on some things. And for example, you know, she she does all the cooking. And Pastor Terry eats it. (laughs) No, he does the dishes. Yeah. And she, you know, shops. Although I will say that once in a while she sends me shopping and and, you know, in fact, I was just shopping the other day and, and I was in Walmart looking around and, you know, you, you know, you'd think she'd send me for something like milk or eggs, but I'm in there looking for artichoke hearts, you know, it wasn't good, I, you know, and, you know, what, why would you need artichoke hearts? And I'm, I'm looking, you know, so, but, but anyway, she, she, <laughs> so when she sends me, I usually wind up looking for things like that, but. Uh, it's frustrating, you know, and you're looking all over the store and you can't find it. Anyway, Pastor Diane shops, like she does the washing and the ironing and much of the house cleaning. And Pastor Terry vacuums the floors and takes care of uh, maintenance like on the house and the cars. Uh And Pastor Terry cuts and trims the grass, which is a long, long, it takes about four hours to do. Yeah, yeah, where we live. And then Pastor Diane, she oversees the plants and the flowers. So see, we kind there's things she does and and there's things that I do. So you might want to adjust Pastor Terry's mic. There's a real big echo back here. Uh, Pastor Terry makes the money. And you spend it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, we're joking. We're joking there. But it is frustrating when one spouse, this happens sometimes when one spouse works all day long and comes home to find the other spouse didn't do a thing all day. Um, and the working spouse then has to also prepare the dinner and clean the house and so on and so forth. And that can be very frustrating. Yeah, that's very frustrating when you've worked all day and then come home and, you know, we've had people come in with marital problems and, you know, and, you know, well, he, you know, she's worked all day and, and she gets home and, you know, he hasn't done any of the laundry, hasn't done the dishes, hasn't made the beds, and then she's worked all day and then she has to come home and do that as well. It just, you know, if you're out of a job, if you're in between jobs, something like that, you know, and your spouse is working, you know, do something. Find something to do in the house. Clean, clean, wash the mirrors, do something so that when, they, when the spouse comes home, they don't have to do that too, you know. And then it's important, working together, raising children, you know, when you get married, you really need to talk about, uh, actually, before you get married, we always suggest that you talk about children before you get married. How many children do you want to have? We've already run into situations where, you know, people, the, the husband didn't want to have any children, and the wife wanted to have six or seven, and vice versa. So you need to talk about these things before you get married and, and come up with a plan on to how, as to how you're going to raise your children before you even get married, you ought to be talking about these things. You know, marriage is, marriage is serious and it's for life. Did you know that? Did you understand that? You know, the word divorce comes up all too quickly. God, God's against divorce. And, and, and I tell you what, two born-again believers should never wind up in divorce. And, and if they do, it's because they have not walked in line with the Word of God. And they've not walked in love. And they've not walked in forgiveness. And they've not uh, made the decision to change themselves. You cannot change your spouse. You need to understand that. You cannot do it. It is impossible. You can pray that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. But you cannot change your spouse. It's just and if you try to change them, you're just going to make them rebel all the more. But what you can do is change yourself and work on yourself. 
And your children will see that. But you ought to be talking about raising children really before you get married. And then as the children grow, you'll have to adjust those plans, no doubt, because every child is different. But it is important that your children see that you are working together in unity. It's very, very important, like Pastor Terry said, that you discuss ahead of time how you're going to raise your children. You might have been brought up in a family where a normal birthday gift was $1,000. Your spouse might have been brought up in a family where the normal birthday gift was $5. You know, what are you going to do? Well, you need to decide that ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You know, the rules of discipline, your just philosophy on things like school and television and sport, you know, playing sports or or ballet or whatever, all those things need to be talked out ahead of time. Um, you need, uh, with discipline especially, those things need to be decided ahead of time and they need to be decided uh, out of your children's earshot. <laughs> you shouldn't be deciding the rules of discipline when you have the child in front of you and you're yelling at each other about what, what the child should or shouldn't do. You should decide that be behind closed doors and when you come to your children with rules or things that are expected of them, it needs to be decided and presented to them as this is what we say, yes. not, yeah. well, I think you should do this, but your dad thinks you should do this. I'm the nice one. He's yeah. the mean one. And that's what's done in a lot of families. There's a mean parent and a nice parent. And it's the only reason that is, is because they are not in unity. Parents need to be in unity for the sake of their children. And it's also, um, one parent should never do all the discipline because then you end up with a mean parent and a nice parent. And the parent that doesn't do the discipline is just not being fair to the other parent. You need to share the, pe- share the discipline responsibilities um, in disciplining your children. And one thing that we find is just one of the most important rules of parenting is that you never talk bad about your spouse to your children. That is just a bad, bad, bad thing. That's a kiss of death, isn't that's, it? That's just, uh, that does not promote unity in the home at all, ever. Yeah. And also, too, uh, these are just some things that we trust will help you. Uh, don't discuss major decisions with your children before you discuss them with your spouse. And believe it or not, but we've seen this over the years, and I think in a one situation where the mother got together with her children they decided, you know, made major decisions with the children and then they informed the dad of what they were going to do and what, how the family, what direction the family was going to go. Now, you know, that, that is totally in violation of the Word of God. Did you know that? Totally in violation of the Word of God. The, the man, the husband needs to... What, what, what have we taught you? The husband needs to get alone with the Lord and the wife needs to get alone with, with the Lord. The man, the woman, get alone and then come together and talk about what you feel God is telling you to do in line with His Word, and then sit down with the children and talk to the children about it. You know, you don't need to go into your children and say, bless God, this is the way it's going to be. You can go in there and just lovingly say, hey, you know, uh, I've been seeking the Lord, your mom's been seeking the Lord, and this is what we feel, what direction we need to go with the family. But but don't, don't discuss major decisions with your children before you discuss them with your spouse. It just never leads to any good. All right, now. Let's turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians 6, the first verse. It's a really important message here for parents and children. Ephesians 6, verse 1. 
It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And then let's turn to Colossians 3. Yeah, this is just a parallel passage to what she just read there. In other words, we're going to say it again. The Bible says it again, and it says it again, and it says it again, so it must be important. Colossians 3, verse 20. It says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And you might wonder, well, what does that mean, provoke your children? It means to make them, to enrage them, to promote them or stimulate them to be angry. Um, I was watching, because uh, I like to educate myself on a lot of things, I was watching a documentary on teenagers that killed people. And they would interview the teenagers or talk to them about what their life was like. And one after, not all of them, but one after another after another, had all this anger inside of them because they could never make their father happy. And their father had so many rules on these particular people that I'm talking about that they, they just couldn't function, that, that they blew up. And so it's important, fathers, that, that you set reasonable guidelines for your kids but not, not pick at them and make the guidelines so stringent that they can't even function. When we lived in Oklahoma... There was a, a family that lived in our same apartment building, and it was a husband and wife, and they had three young boys. Uh, maybe the oldest one was 11 or 12, and then they went down from there. And every morning, like, I don't know if it was 5 in the morning, or it was, seemed like it was awfully early, he was a Marine. He had them out running. I mean, they were running, <laughs> these little boys, and they, you know, it, it was, and I could see that, you know, possibly he was headed down that traffic of, you know, being maybe too strict with his boys. Well, what I noticed about it is, and there's nothing wrong, you know, if, if you're going to have your children out, you know, doing something like that. It, it, you know, how you raise your children is, is your business. I just would tell you to do it in line with the Word of God. But, you know, I watched this fella, and, and he was running a, a boot His home was like a boot camp more than a, than a house. And, and there's nothing wrong with having rules and regulations but if you have rules without relationship, it's going to bring rebellion in your kids. Did you hear what I just said? You know, I, we, we believe that, that there needs to be rules in the household and, and there needs to be discipline, there needs to be structure because, see, I, I, I taught in a public school system for a lot of years before we went into ministry full time and, and I watched and I, I observed kids that didn't have a, a structured home life and there were no rules or regulations uh, they, they didn't. They didn't do very well. They, they, you know, kids really they need structure. Now they'll tell you they don't need it, but you know, children don't always know what's best for them. And and I've had kids again and again, like in my classroom. I always ran a real tight ship in my classroom. You know, you you had to follow my rules. You you couldn't talk when when I was teaching. You had to listen. You had to do your assignment. You know, and all of that. And, and there was no, no horseplay in my class. We had fun. Don't misunderstand me. But, but the kids hated it at the time. But I've had dozens of them come up all these years later and say, Mr. Shield, you know, 
we, we didn't like your class all that much at the time, but we learned some things, and they're grateful. But, but you know, something that I've noticed in uh, parents and children, your kids need rules, your kids need structure, but something that they need more than that is relationship. Let's all say real loud, say relationship. relationship. They need relationship. And, and, you know, if you have a whole bunch of rules... Without relationship, it's just going to bring rebellion in in your kids. And I noticed that fellow that Pastor Diane was talking about, he had a lot of rules for his kids. But I never noticed much of a relationship that he had with his kids. And, you know, rules without relationship will bring rebellion. And also something else I've learned, if you have rules for your kids... You know, you need to have rules, but it doesn't hurt to explain to them why you have those rules. You know, they're there for their own, their own good and so on. But just remember this, have rules, have structure and all of that. Be sure they're reasonable, but, but more importantly even, have relationship with your kids because that's one way to keep them from rebelling. I'd like to um, talk a minute about the importance of fathers. In my personal opinion, I feel like fathers are the very most, the single most important factor in bringing up a healthy teenager and bringing them up into adulthood. Um, The things that a father can impart to his children are just immense. Uh, For a teenage girl, that from the father is where she needs to get her self-worth. She needs to hear from her father that she's beautiful, that she's pretty, that she's smart, that she, uh, you know, has different kinds of skills. The father is the one that imparts all that to the daughter. If the daughter doesn't get that from her father, she is going to look someplace else. I'll guarantee it to you. The daughter needs to learn from her father how to treat a woman or how a woman is supposed to be treated. If the daughter sees the father you know, treating the mother poorly, then she's going to think that she can accept being treated poorly. And we don't want that for our girls, do we? The father shows the teenage daughter how, what kind of person that she's supposed to get married to. If the father doesn't have high expectations for the people that she's dating, then she's not going, she's going to accept anything. If the teenage daughter knows that the father is going to be there when she's picked up for a date and when she's dropped off and the father's going to be checking out that guy, then the girl's going to be a lot pickier in who she's going to date and who she's going to get married to. The father imparts all that to the teenage girl. And for the teenage boy, I mean, let's face it, all of us have strengths and weaknesses. And as a parent, a lot of times we want so bad to correct those weaknesses that we destroy the strengths that they have. Fathers need to look at their children and see their strengths and weaknesses and help them with their weaknesses but emphasize their strengths and help them develop those strengths. And a lot of times we, as parents, we can become naggy or critical or aggravated that they're not, you know, you know, maybe they're don't really get math, you know. Maybe maybe as a parent, I got math really good, but my child doesn't get math, and I just, just get aggravated. But let's think about what they do get. Yeah. Let's think about what they are, what the, the gifts that God has put in them. And as fathers, we need to 
emphasize those and make a big deal out of those wonderful things. Yeah, you know, one thing that I will add to that is that if uh, a dad does not tell his daughter how beautiful she is, then, then the first guy that comes along that tells her that, she's going to be more likely to just fall for that fella. And so it's like Pastor Diane said, it's just very, very important that, that dads, if you have daughters, you know, be sure to, to, to tell them how pretty they are and, and, and love on them and, and it'll be good for them. And also uh, fathers as it pertains to, to boys, a lot of times dads want their sons to, you know, be the football star or the track star or whatever. And sometimes children just, you know, they may not have those abilities. So like Pastor Diane was saying, you know, don't, don't put children down because they may not be good at football or, or good at tennis or something like that. Maybe they're real good in science and they're excellent on the science club. That Praise God for it. Or maybe, you know, you want your child to, to excel in a science club and maybe they don't have any talent in that. Maybe it's in art or something like that. So just be sensitive and, and, and just like she said, you know, I'll say, it, what's the old saying? Accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, and don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Is that right? And so, so these are just some things that, uh, that, that we're, we're sharing that we think would be a help to you. Also today, if you're here and you're a single parent, we don't have this in our notes, but if you're a single parent, you know, uh, look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. If you're here today and you're a, a lady and you're, you know, maybe your husband has passed away or, or something's happened and maybe there has been a divorce. You know, there is life after divorce. Did you know that? I said, did you know that? And it's not God's perfect will, but if it's happened, he still loves you. And, and certainly he'll still work with you. He loves you and all of that. And, and so if you don't have a husband, you're a single lady, uh, God will fill that role, you see, until, until, until you find somebody else that he'd have you to marry. And it, it works the other way, too. If you're a, a, a fella and you don't have a wife for whatever reason, God will help you in that. Can anybody say amen? Amen. All right. And then notice again, the Bible said about bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. One thing that I've learned in that word training, bring children up in the training of the Lord, that there's a connotation of disciplinary correction there. And there again, all my years of teaching in the public school system, uh, I noticed that in this time in which we live, it seems as though there is a lack of disciplinary correction by, by parents to their children. And, and, and one thing that, that I've run into is, uh, you know, I had a, a, a husband and a wife come into my class one day and uh, I was having trouble with their child in disciplinary things. The child would never be quiet and listen. They were always talking and going on and, and I could never get them to follow directions. And so I called a meeting with the parents and they came in and they came in with their their child and uh, uh, I didn't want them to bring the child with them because I wanted to talk to the parents alone, but they brought the child nonetheless. And I said, well, I'd like to meet with y'all privately. And, and they said, you know, and I asked them, why did you bring your child? I said, because they wanted to come. And, and I said, well, but I want to meet with you privately. And they said, well, you know, Junior wanted to, it wasn't his name, but Junior wanted to come and what Junior wants, Junior gets. Well, you know, what Junior wants isn't always what's best for Junior. Is that right? And as I got to talking with him a little bit, I'll call him Junior, you know, but Junior was just nasty and mean and cruel and was smarting off to the parents and going on. And I'm just sitting there scratching my head. Why are you people letting Junior talk to you like that? 
And so once they left, I pulled the dad back and, and I said to him, I said, you know, do you realize Junior was pretty, pretty rude to you and your wife? And said, oh, we don't discipline Junior because if we showed him any discipline, that would mean we don't love him. And, 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 and I just said, you know what, sir, because, and I just told him, I said, because you don't discipline him shows him that you don't love him. If you refuse to discipline children, that's just showing them that you don't love them. Children need to be disciplined. They need rules and regulations that are reasonable in line with the Word of God. How many of you know children don't need to live in a prison? Their house should not be looked at as a prison but a home. Is that right? But still, there should be some rules. And when rules aren't followed, there should be some disciplinary actions. And the Bible is very clear on that. And every kid is different. And I'm not one of these people that thinks you need to spank kids. I think you ought to only spank them as a very last resort. Did you hear me? I remember teaching school. I remember several, but this one kid I remember in particular. It wasn't Junior, but it was one like him. And... Uh, uh, they had that, that boy on every kind of medicine you can imagine. Now, I'm not against medicine. I'm not against medicine. If you need it, then it's fine. But this kid, they had him on every kind of medicine, and this was one particular kid that he didn't need the medicine. You know what he needed? How many knows what he needed? He needed a good, healthy, biblical trip to the to the woodshed. You know what I mean by that? Now, I've had parents get mad at me and they've left and they would never come back because I said that. But it's the truth of the matter. Most kids, I don't think, need a trip to the woodshed, but there's some of them that do. And the, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, spare the rod and... You know, and the, God's not in favor of beating your kids. Say amen. amen. But he, what God is in favor of is having a good relationship with your kids, have good rules and regulations and boundaries, and let the kids know that if they step over those boundaries, there will be consequences. And, and if they step over the line and they violate the, the rule, I believe in grace. How many believes in grace? Amen. But, but, you know, if you tell your child, if you tell your child, if you do that one more time, I'm going to ground you, and then they do it one more time and you don't ground them, what have you just told your child? You just told your child that you're a liar. Is that right? And, and they're not going to believe any. And then they're going to lose respect for you is what's going to happen. So just be a person that loves your children, have relationship with your children, have boundaries, have rules, have consequences. And if your kids miss it most of the time, you don't have to yell and scream at them. You can just correct them, talk to them, all of that. Sometimes you have to raise your voice. Sometimes you have to ground them. Sometimes you might even have to do a trip to the woodshed. But um, I remember I, I didn't get a trip to the woodshed, but I had a meeting with a fly swatter one day. Uh, I, I pushed a, a girl down. Uh, we were in one of, one of these pools, you know. How many knows these uh, little plastic pools? And I was about seven years old. And, well, this girl, actually, she was mean. She had hit me in the head with a Folgers can a couple of weeks earlier and left a scar, and I didn't do anything to her then. And so a couple of weeks comes and goes, and she got on me and did something in this pool. And so I just pushed her down. Actually, I was kind of getting back at her for the Folger can. I was seven, eight years old, and... Next thing I know, I hear the screen door slam, and I see this flash come out, and it's a mama with a fly swatter. And mama fly swatted me real good. Boom, 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 boom. But I guess I had it coming, you know. But I never pushed that girl down again. 
I thought about it, but I never did it. But anyway, uh, how did I get off on that? I don't know. Anyway, trip to the woodshed. So I haven't been to the woodshed, but I've had a meeting with a fly swatter. All right. Now, talking along these lines, I think we've said probably enough about that. But look, if you would, at uh, let, let, let's go to Second Chronicles 26. Second Chronicles, we'll just go on a little while longer here. Second Chronicles 26. I hope this is helping you. Uh, how many is helping you? So are you getting anything out of it? You know, you can be too hard on your children while you're turning over there. You know, you can be too easy on your children. Does anybody remember in the Old Testament a man named Eli? He was too easy on his, on his two sons and he refused to discipline them and it eventually ruined them. Do you know that? So you can be too hard, you can be too easy. Just go back to the story of the three Goldilocks and the three bears. What's the lesson? Sometimes it can be too what? Too... Oh, Lord. Haven't you ever read Goldilocks? What are they teaching these people in school? Sometimes it could be too hard. Sometimes you can be too... But what, you, but what do you want to do? Be just right. Amen. How many has never read Goldilocks? Three bears. What is happening to this society in which we live? I, all right. Look, you found Second Chronicles 26, 1 yet? Now, look at this. I want to show you something that, that, that parents need to really listen to here and get a hold of. And then we'll say a few things to children and then we'll be done. But look at this right here. Second Chronicles 26, verse 1 says, The people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. Now, who was his father? His father was Amaziah. And then skip down to verse 16. It says, When Uzziah, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Did Uzziah have a heart problem? Yeah. Now, it wasn't a physical heart problem. It was a spiritual heart problem. You understand that? Now, he, he, he had a father. What was his father's name? Amaziah. And we see in verse 16, Uzziah had a heart problem. Now, let's go and see why Uzziah had a heart problem. We'll go look at his dad. Go up to chapter 25. Look at verse 2. Go up to just one chapter up, verse 2. Talking about Amaziah, his father. He, Amaziah, this is verse 2 did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a what? Lord, can you do the right things with the wrong heart? And the point here is, is that his dad had a heart problem, didn't he? And then you see the son having a heart problem. And the interesting thing here is it's all about attitude. His dad did the right stuff, but not with a good and a right heart. Let me ask you this. Bringing your children to church on Sunday morning, is that a good thing to do? Yes. But you know, you negate the whole thing if when you get up in the morning, you just go, oh man, oh, it's Sunday. I got to go up to that church and listen to that preacher go on again. And then you get in the car and you drive and boy, I hope it's a quick one today. I hope he preaches short so we can get home and watch a football game. Well, nothing wrong with the football game, but you just told your child that football is more important than God. Is that right? And so you bringing your child to church is a good thing. But if you're crabbing and complaining and going on about it the whole time, or you don't even really even have to say a word. You know, you can say a lot with body action. Is that right? 
It, now, now, if I'm up here, now, now, have I just told you I'm happy? Yeah, but if I'm, what have I just told you? I'm bored. How would you like it if I preached every Sunday and I said, now open your Bibles. Huh? You know, at last, you, you understand what I'm saying? So body action is important. And, and so, you know, what we're saying here is that you can say a lot to your children without even saying anything. Just, just, just your actions and the way you, you conduct yourself. But Amaziah had a heart problem. He did the right stuff. But his heart wasn't loyal, and evidently it, it affected his son. And all those years later, it popped up, and it cost his son. You know, I grew up with my mother, lived with her for 25 years. Then I got married uh, to Diane, and uh, now my mom's lived with us. She's up in years. She's lived with us the last four years. And you know, it's 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 unbelievable. But I, I as, as you li- as I've lived with her these last four years. There's a whole lot of her that, that, that I'm just like her in a lot of ways. Well, how is that? Well, girl, I lived with her for 25 years and a lot of her rubbed off on me. So it's very important as you raise your children to have good attitudes and don't just do the right thing, but do the right thing with a good and a right attitude. And that applies to, to dads, but also it applies to moms. Yes. Uh, let's turn to Second Timothy, the first chapter. 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. It says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. See, that the faith went from the grandmother to the mother into Timothy. So our faith can be imparted into the generations below us. Yeah, and that was that was the mom and the grandma, you see. So it's not just the dads, it's 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 the moms too. It's it's the husband and the wife. The Bible says a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. And so it's important that not only mom and dad, you know, raising children should be a, a, a joint effort, you know. And and so oftentimes the child rearing go gets left with the mom a lot of times and the dad is kind of absent in a lot of cases. And that shouldn't be the way that it is. The mom and the dad should be there together raising the children, joint effort. I remember when we were in uh, going to Bible school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there was a lady down there attending Bible school, and she had two sons. She had two sons. Uh, one was probably about 10, and the other one was 7. And this lady would get up in the morning, because she lived in an adjacent apartment uh, to where we were living, and uh, she got up in the morning and she had to go to early prayer meeting at 6 o'clock. So she left before her kids really even got up. So they had to get up alone. And then they went off to school. And then they got off school, you know, about 3 o'clock. And then because she went to early prayer meeting, then she went to Bible school. And then when she got off of Bible school... From 8 to 12, then this lady, single mom, then this lady went, she worked from like 12.30 until about 4.30 or 5, right in there. Now, what do you think this lady should have done at 4.30 or 5? Oh, no, she didn't go home. She had to go to choir practice. Now, how many of you know she didn't really love her children? Oh, but but she's serving God, going to Bible study and going to choir practice. Now, she's violating the word of God. You take care of your children before you go to choir practice. 
Is that right? If you have to choose between your child and choir practice, you choose your child, right? Now, is that right? Now, is that right? Now, if you're choosing your child to take them to Little League on Sunday morning when they ought to be coming to church, now there's something wrong, something wrong altogether. But this woman did this day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. And we'd see these little kids, this 10-year-old and 7-year-old boy, we'd watch these kids and they'd be out roaming on the parking lot and going on and so on and so forth. And I, it was starting to make me angry, you know. I was getting angry because I could see these two little kids just going to the dogs. And so anyway, the one evening, and actually uh, I had spoken to the lady about it. I pulled her aside there, you know, and uh, in an open area. And I said, ma'am, you know, your children, do you realize there's problems with your children and they're running out here in the parking lot at night? And, and she says, well, I just have to serve God. And I said to her, I said, well, ma'am, you know, if you really was serving God, you'd, you'd, you'd take care of your children. So anyway, so it was just brief, and she went on. So some weeks came and went, and then the one night, well, I say night, it was probably about 8 o'clock in the evening, 8 o'clock, give or take, and there's a boom, 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 boom on the apartment door. And I open it up, and when I open it up, this little kid goes, shoo, running in, and his brother's after him, and they're in a fight, in a fight. And this kid, his nose is bleeding and going on, and so this 7-year-old, so I, I sent the, the older boy back down the hall, and I kept the, the younger kid in our apartment. And uh, I knew his mom would be coming home soon. And her and I was going to have a talk. And so I said to the older boy, I said, Now when your mama gets home, you tell her that I want to see her. And, and he said, Well, aren't you going to let my brother come home with me? I said, No, I want to talk to your mother. So I was mad. And so in about a half an hour, sure enough... And because I, I had Diane back in the back with the kids. She was with our children and this, this kid, you know. And there's a knock. And I opened the door and, boy, this lady was standing there. And she looked like she was, she, was, she was mad. And she said, I hear you have my boy. I want my boy. And I, I wanted to say, uh, Diane will come out and talk to you. <laughs> I wanted to say that. And I said, guess what? She said, what? I said, you're not getting him. Ooh. And then her and me, we had a talk. And I just told her how the cow eats the cabbage. Do you know what I mean by that? How many knows what I mean by that? I said, I told her how the cow eats the cabbage. You know what I mean by that? I gave her parenting 101, 102, 103. I went off on her. Have you ever seen me go off? I went off on her. I got mad. And she's yelling at me, and I'm yelling at her. And she's yelling at me, and I'm yelling at her. And I shouted her down, bless God. And, and, and you know what? After that, she stopped going to prayer meeting early in the morning. She got some sense. She stayed, and she saw to it her kids got to school. She cut her choir practice down, and she was taking care of her kids. And she came back later and she said, Mr. Sheila or Terry, she said, thank you. She said, I'm glad you stood up to me and told me. Praise God. Can you say amen? And then the last thing I'll say to the children and then we'll go is, remember, children, obey your parents. Listen to them. They have your best interest at heart. Honor your parents. Honor your father and mother. Things will go better for you, the Bible says. And be thankful to them. The Bible says in the last days, which we're living in, that children will be disobedient to parents and unthankful. Just, just always 
be obedient to your parents and be thankful to your parents. And I tell you what, kids, if you'll obey your mom and dad, if you'll honor your mom and dad, if you'll honor your parents, be obedient to them, be thankful for what they do for you, things will go better. Let's everybody stand. Honey, thank you for helping me last week in this. Praise God. Amen. Hope you got something out of it. Praise God forevermore. A husband and a wife need to be together, don't they? Amen. Praise God forevermore in all facets of life. Amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Well, if you're here today, you've never received Jesus into your heart. Remember, there's a heaven above and a hell beneath. Don't die unless you know where you stand with Jesus. Don't leave here today unless you've accepted Jesus into your heart. Repented of your sins and accepted Jesus into your heart. If you need healing in your body, if you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, or maybe you just have some other need that that you'd like somebody to pray with you, there'll be some men and women standing up here that would be glad, be glad to pray with you before you leave here today. Praise God. Father, I pray for the people. I pray for the husbands, the wives. I pray for the families that the Word of God has gone forth, that people will hear what the Spirit of God's been saying and that they'll put your word into practice and that the families will be strong. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, don't forget there's cake out there for you and have a piece before you go. And also the men that can help me with the Heroes Seminar, I need to see you over in the... uh,